it took me about 10 years after I got out of prison to be able to forgive myself for my past Hmm. and all the mistakes I had made. And I thought there was a key. And I told God, if you give me the key, I'm going to write a book. Well, my book is not about a key because what I realized after 10 years was that one day I woke up and I was free. I was free from guilt and condemnation and remorse and shame. And I realized that the so-called key is simply walking in relationship with Jesus. Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and you're listening to the Hello Mornings podcast, where my goal is to help you begin and build a life-changing morning routine. Now, if you're not familiar with Hello Mornings, I'd love to invite you to head over to hellomornings.org to download our free three-minute morning routine and watch our mini workshop that explains how you can have an incredible morning routine in just three minutes. Now, today, you're about to hear from Julie Seals and her powerful testimony from addiction and fear to freedom and hope. And you're even going to hear how even behind bars, she crafted a morning routine because she wanted to practice for how she was going to live when she was free. She wasn't going to wait until she was in charge of her days. She practiced in prison for how she wanted to live when she was free. And I thought that was such a powerful statement. I feel like we could end the podcast on that sentence alone. But Julie's story is so rich and powerful. I can't let you miss out on any of it. Let's dive in. Hey, Julie, thank you so much for being on the Hello Mornings podcast. I'm so glad that you can make time for us today. Hello, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about just you and who you are right now, and then I want to dive into your amazing story. Okay, well, who I am right now is... Well, a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who saved my soul. And I'm a prison minister and evangelist. My husband is a Florida Department of Corrections chaplain at a men's prison. And I am also an author of a new book. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a grandma. And I just have so much joy in the life that I have with Jesus. I've been like sharing your story with different friends of mine as I've been talking about doing this interview today. And the only word that I could come up with, which is not the word that I really want to use, but you ooze Jesus. You just ooze joy. Just as you're talking, it just feels, I don't know, just like somebody that I want to sit at the feet of and, and hear your story and hear what God's done in your life. Because I think there's there's nothing more powerful than hearing the story of what God has done in someone's life. We can study theology. We can do all kinds of intellectual things. But when we can talk to someone and really see what God's done in their life, I just think it's so powerful. So I'm thrilled that you were able to join us today. I'm thrilled to just get to know you and learn from you today and to share your story with our listeners. So you do have a new book out called All My Hope, and it's about your testimony of finding God. And with your brief introduction of where you are now, I don't think most people would guess at where you started from. So take us a little bit into how you ended up in your lowest place in life. Okay, I will do a nutshell version. I was born with a birth defect called spina bifida, and I was supposed to die when I was born. The doctors gave me to my parents, and they took me home so that I would die at home. 
only God had other plans. As I grew up, I did have some complications, medical complications because of the spina bifida. I ended up losing my left leg due to amputation when I was about 28 years old. But at that time, I was married and I had been running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. When I was 18, I had gotten involved with the wrong crowd and started just partying and doing drugs and really running far away from, from a life with God. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I always knew that God was my answer, but I didn't know how to find him. And when I had my leg amputated, I was married and I had a little boy and his name is Tyler. Tyler was about two years old when my leg was amputated and I was in a marriage that was really a mess. It wasn't working out. I was drinking and using drugs. He had gotten sober and was doing the right thing. And I thought that I would run away from life and all my problems. And so I did. I took my little boy. I ran away to the other side of the country. Only my biggest problem, Julie, was still there. And I didn't realize it at the time. So two years later, my son's dad found me. We went through a bitter custody battle and I ended up losing my little boy, Tyler, who was four years old at the time. Right after that, my dad died unexpectedly, unexpectedly of lung cancer. And I gave up on life. I moved to Mexico with a plan to end my life. And I went to a doctor, got a bunch of pills, and I was going to take them all. And I thought, you know, the life I've had, I've messed everything up. And if I try to take all these pills, I'll mess that up too. So instead, I just stayed in Mexico and stayed numb for the next two years. And a snapshot, circling back to your question, a snapshot of me at the lowest point in my life was I was a fugitive on the run, living in Mexico with a meth lab in my house and the Mexican federales, which is like the drug task force, they were raiding my house with machine guns. It was only by the grace of God that they never found anything. And I was high, strung out, losing my mind. And it was in that place of desperation that I fell to my knees and cried out to God for the first real time in my life. Was that just out of need, an internal thing? Had somebody talked to you about God? What prompted that? Was it just the low point? I think it was the low point, but also God had been chasing me down. Mm -hmm. So the funny thing is in Mexico, even though I was drinking and doing drugs, I had a Bible. <laughs> And I would open it up. There was something deep inside me that was drawn to God. I just, like I said, I, I didn't know how to find him. And I would open up my Bible and I would read, you know, the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God and the wicked will burn in hell. And I would close the Bible because something in me knew that the wicked was me. And so I, I felt the presence of God chasing me down. I would drive by a church in Mexico and it would say, Iglesia Pentecostal. And my heart would quicken and I'd be like, oh, 
there's something in there for me. I'm going to go Sunday. Only Sunday I was never sober, so I never went. But what happened was in Mexico, in my living room, nobody had talked to me about God, but I was definitely being pursued by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I had one leg amputated and I had an injury to my remaining foot and I was about to get the only other leg amputated. I got home from that doctor's appointment to my house in Mexico and I remember falling to my knees and it was in that moment. Yes, it was desperation, but I also felt the presence of God in my living room. I felt him there as, as tangible as a real human being. And I started weeping and it was just like this moment where it was me and God and he was right there. And I remember saying, God, I don't know how to pray. And I don't know if you're listening, but I need you to become the center of my life or I'm going to be lost forever. And I even went so far as to tell him, I can't meet you halfway. I need you to do it all and do whatever it takes. Wow. Just to that prayer brings tears to my eyes, just imagining how God feels hearing you say that prayer, like, oh, just my sweet, sweet child, you don't need to come halfway, you don't need to take another step. And I just think that's so powerful and so precious. How how old were you at this point in time? At this point in time, I was 35. Okay, it's just amazing seeing I just see the thread of God in your life because any one of these things that you have mentioned, I feel like would crush most people. And the fact that the fact that even not knowing the Lord, you stayed alive and you kept going, I think is so powerful. So you're at this low point, you call on him. What happens next? Well, what happened next was, and this part makes people laugh. I got up from that prayer and I made a really strong drink and I passed out because that's how I went to bed every night. I didn't go to sleep. I passed out and that's what I did. So I woke up the next morning and the mafia came over to my house and they wanted to know if I would take drugs across the border for money. I did not feel different when I woke up in the morning. And so I thought God didn't hear me. Well, the reality, as we know, is that when we cry out to God and surrender, he does hear us. Um, but because nothing looked different, I thought, well, you know, God didn't hear me. He doesn't want me. And so I agreed to do it. So I let them duct tape four pounds of crystal methamphetamine around my waist. And they drove me to the Mexico-San Diego border and let me out on the Mexico side. And as I was walking through the international border, I felt the presence of God with me again so strongly. And a U.S. Customs officer with a gun stopped me because they, they will stop different people and ask, where are you, you know, how long have you been in Mexico? What were you doing there? And as soon as she asked me the question, I just froze. And instead of trying to make something up, I ended up just telling her what I was doing and I turned myself in. And I was arrested, of course, and went to federal prison in San Diego. And that was on January 8th of 2001. And going to prison saved my life. It was mm -hmm. rehab, so to speak. But also it's where Jesus met me because the first week I was there, 
a group of prison ministry volunteers came in and one of them looked at me and it was a big open pod area. We weren't in cells. And this one lady, she came over and she sat on my bunk and she looked at me and she goes, did you know that Jesus loves you very much? And I started weeping and I'm like, not me. And I said, you don't know what I've done. And she kept insisting that no matter what I had done, Jesus not only loved me, but that he died to forgive me. And all I had to do was repent of my sins, turn away from the life I was living on, follow him and ask him to be my Lord and savior and forgive me. And he would make me a new person. And I found hope rising in my heart. And so that evening, I didn't pray with her right then, but that evening as all the other inmates were off eating dinner and I was alone, I got down on my knees on that cold, hard cement floor and I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and come into my life. I told him I was sorry for every wicked thing I had ever done. And I felt not only his presence, but I felt a weight break hmm. off of you know, I'm just picturing this sort of as a movie in my mind, and it's not often that you picture the 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 climax, the high point of a movie being in a federal prison cell. And I think that says just so much about the power of God in people's lives that he can turn anything into this mountaintop peak moment. And I love I love how he brought her into your life. I, I have to say, I am curious, how did that how did that customs agent respond when you told her, by the way, I'm carrying drugs. Okay. I'm sure she had to be a, a Christian because I was inside saying, okay, brace yourself, Julie, you're going to get thrown on the ground. They're going to pull guns on you. She smiled at me and she put her hand gently on my back and she said, okay, just come with me. Everything's going to be okay. And she was very calm, which I'm sure they're trained to be, but she took me to a room in the back and put me in a little room and she said, okay, I can't help you take that off. So I need you to untape it by yourself. And so I had to untape the duct tape and, you know, tears were falling. And I looked at her and I said, why are you being so kind to me? And she said, just because you have packages on your person doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be treated with kindness and respect. Mm. I mean, not just, I'm sure she was a Christian. Wow. And I'll never forget her kindness. And not only was my arrest orchestrated by God to save my life, but I believe that she was the hand-picked customs officer to speak to me. That is so powerful. How, you know, how much can we take that into everyday life to every person that we encounter? So you pray to receive Jesus and you're in prison still. Is there church in prison? How do you begin to grow in your relationship with him? So what happened next? So yes, there are chapel services in prison and I started attending them. My only foot had gotten an infection and was about to be amputated, but I read in my Bible in my morning time. And I just want to say, I love your, your ministry of of helping women to establish a solid morning time with God. I started that in prison with no one teaching me. I just you know, had the time. <laughs> and I was going to every chapel service and I was praying and believing that God would heal my foot. And he did in two months time. 
I ended up going in front of a judge and instead of getting 17 years to life, which I was originally arraigned at, uh, he said that he saw something different in me and mm. he saw Jesus. God will give us favor. When Jesus lives in us, God will give us favor in the eyes of the judge, in the eyes of people who have authority to make decisions in our lives uh, because he's the ultimate authority. And the judge ended up sentencing me to 22 months in federal prison. So were you in for another 22 months or had you already served some of that time? I had already served six months. So it was another okay. 18 and a total of 22. And then when you got out, you'd been living in Mexico. So how do you start your life again, back in America, out of prison, a new woman in Christ? How do you take that road instead of you know, I hear so often that it's easy to go back down the paths that we'd been on before and fall into the relationships and everything that we'd been in before. How did how did you take that turn? Yeah, so I too had heard that a lot of people give their life to Jesus in prison and they get out and they just go back to what they were doing. And I was terrified. I didn't want that to be me. And so I got, first of all, I was homeless. So they sent me to a halfway house in a gang infested neighborhood of San Diego called Barrio Logan. And I got permission from the lieutenant at the halfway house to go to college. My mom had died right before I got out of prison. Mm -hmm. And she was going to let me live with her and go to college. And I promised my mom I would go to college and get my bachelor's degree. Well, when she died and I realized I was going to be homeless, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, okay, Julie, it's time to depend only on me now. And when I got out of prison and I was in that halfway house and I got permission to go to college, I made up my mind that I was going to keep my promise to my mom. I would get up in that halfway house every single morning. I would go into the day room and I would get up early, like 5 a.m., sometimes 4.30 a.m. I would set an alarm intentionally because this is what I did in prison, practicing for when I got out. Mm -hmm. This was the foundation of my faith. I would get up in prison. I would set my alarm for 4.30 and all my roommates hated me for that. <laughs> and I would get up. I would read my Bible. I would get a journal. I would write my prayers, love letters to God. If I was scared, if I was fearful, if I was desperate, hopeful, if I was praising him, I wrote it all down. And I am excited because... Okay, Jesus, don't let this fall. I have years. Wow. Uh, I'm going to, I don't want to move the camera, but this is, this is my Brian Joy. If, if my house catches on fire, I am grabbing these journals and nothing else. These are, these represent 20 years of journaling and my morning time wow. with God. What and a treasure. It is a treasure. And and so that's what I did to integrate back into society and become a positive member of the community as I just started every day with Jesus, mm. prayer and his word and journaling. And I can go back because sometimes life gets so busy. I think we can actually forget the magnitude of what God has done for us. I can pull yeah. a journal out of here and open it up and I'm amazed all over again. And so I was reading someone else's story. And it's like, oh my word, God, you did that for me. That is amazing. I I love what you said, the phrase where you said, I was practicing for when I get out. 
and you weren't waiting until you get out. When I get out, I'm going to do this. And I think often in our lives, we think, well, in the next season, when I get through this hard thing, when this difficult thing gets easier, then I'm going to do better. I, you know, we do that so often, but instead to practice for when we get out, I think that is so powerful. And another thing that I'm so curious about is, you know, I, in Hello Mornings, I talked to lots of women about you know, starting their day with Jesus, building a morning routine. And, and we talk a lot about building these different habits. And especially when it comes to a quiet time, one of the biggest challenges that I see people encounter is they'll be doing great for a couple of weeks and then they don't spend time with Jesus and then they feel bad and they don't give themselves grace for that. And in light of your story, it seems, which I've totally done this, but it seems like such a silly thing not to give ourselves grace for or not to accept the grace of Christ for and i feel like you probably have a ton of wisdom in this area because i imagine the enemy could easily attack you and say well you shouldn't give yourself grace for things that have happened in the past or you shouldn't give yourself grace for this or for that and we all do that and it's so hard to step beyond that and i wonder what wisdom you can share in that because i think it's such a huge obstacle for so many people yeah, that is such a great question. And I'll be honest with you, the enemy will still, if I get up late, if I sleep in and I do miss my morning time, because it happens sometimes, the enemy will instantly be at me, condemning me. And so God's mad at you. And, uh, you know, that that just happens. It took me about 10 years after I got out of prison to be able to forgive myself for my past hmm. and all the mistakes I had made. And I thought there was a key and I told God, if you give me the key, I'm going to write a book. Well, my book is not about a key because what I realized after 10 years was that one day I woke up and I was free. I was free from guilt and condemnation and remorse and shame. And I realized that the so-called key is simply walking in relationship with Jesus. Mm. And, you know, and it's something that we have to actively be aware of those accusations and being giving ourselves grace. It, it's a daily thing. It's not something, at least for me, you know, it's something that I have to be really intentional and aware of every day because every day is a new day. And I have to always be aware that there's an enemy out there who's going to want to accuse and steal and destroy. Mm -hmm. When you were writing this book, who were you writing it for? What was the message that you wanted to share with the person who opens it, starts it, and can't put it down? So the message I want to share, who was I writing it for? That That is a good question. The message is a message of hope. It's a message really that has touched people inside of prison and people outside of prison. I've, I have women read my book who are pastors or just, you know, have housewives or, you know, from all different walks of life. And they find pieces of my story to find hope in. And the overall message is that God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, for a hope and a future. You're his masterpiece. He created you in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he had already planned for just you to do since before time began. And that nothing you can do or have ever done will separate you from the love of God. No mistake you've made, you haven't fallen too far. He's a God of second chances. 
and and it's time to get back up and let your heart be filled with hope because God has a plan for you. So good. So good. And you know, that is so evident in your story and the way that you communicate it. And like I said, you just ooze hope and ooze Jesus. You, you talked about your, you know, you had one leg amputated, then the other foot was healed. And then the other open loop in your story is the story of your son. What happened with him? So after I had been out of prison for four years, I was going to be just me and Jesus. And I ended up meeting this man in church. We fell in love. We got married and we have been married now 17 years doing prison ministry together. Well, he was helping me look for my son and we found my son on social media, but the Holy Spirit told me, do not reach out to him. So I was just watching his profile on Facebook. I was praying for him and I could actually see as a result of my morning prayer, his posts began to be very carnal. He was in high school at the time I found him to all of a sudden, I'm going to church. I'm cutting out certain friends and God's answering my prayer. And I'm not even reunited with him yet physically. So he ended up finding me on Facebook. It's a longer story, but it, it I, I won't share it right now, but he ended up finding me on Facebook. He reached out to me on Mother's Day. And three months later, my husband drove me to the Jacksonville International Airport where my son, Tyler, now 20 years old at that time, got off a plane and came running to me, arms wide open. Full forgiveness, complete. He, wow. he loves the Lord. And then he came, he flew to Florida to live with me and my husband for a year. And then two years after that, I got to walk him down the aisle at his wedding to give him away to his wife. And now my name is Grandma. Okay, I cried the first time I heard your story and I'm crying this time as well. That is amazing. And again, it just speaks so much to the power of listening to the spirit, listening to what God's prompting you to do, because how much work did he do in Tyler's life during that time? You didn't reach out to him when it was probably everything in you wanted to reach out, wanted to repair it yourself, wanted to, you know, restore that relationship with God. It was like, no way. And you listened to him. And what a powerful story. What a powerful testimony. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. So I love how everything just comes full circle and you were introduced to Jesus by a woman through prison ministry. And yeah. now you are a woman doing prison ministry. I would love to hear a little bit about what you do. And for anybody listening that has been interested in prison ministry, I know that a lot of people in our my church do prison ministry. And also yesterday I was at um, a BSF Bible study and uh, we went around sharing what's one thing that brings you hope right now. And one of the women was talked about how she does prison ministry and how much hope it's bringing her. So I, I would love for you to share what you do and share how other women might get involved in something like that. Okay. This is the most exciting part of my life. So my husband and I have been doing prison ministry the entire 17 years we've been married. Right after we got married, he said, Julie, there has to be more to life than just going to church. And I said, there is, because I had made God a promise that he, if he let me out, I'd spend the rest of my life going back in 
and being that lady that came and sat on my bunk. And he gave me that chance. And so we've been doing prison ministry for 17 years. So now today I go into a women's prison in Florida. And I also go into the prison where my husband is a chaplain at a men's prison. We do ministry together. We do chapel services. I share my testimony in the women's prison. I go and I preach and I share. And I've actually, this year, God has done something crazy. It was just me going in for the longest time. And I had kind of said, well, I'm not going to start a prison ministry. And now I have 17 women I'm bringing in with me. Oh my Wow. God. Yeah, God brought them to me. But it's amazing because there are women that are coming to the altar and then coming to the altars in the men's prison. And they are repenting and they're weeping and they're to see the hope in their eyes, to see that they have that realization that no matter what side of the razor wire on, they're forgiven and loved by Jesus. They're there's nothing better than that. And when you're in there being the hope of Jesus, there is no more complete feeling or sense of completeness that I have than when Jesus is breathing and loving and speaking through me into the soul of a broken human being that society has given up on. At my husband's prison recently, I shared my testimony a man came to the altar and he had tattoos head to toe and big, you know, like gangster looking guy. He came weeping and he just not coming out of his nose. And he said, I, he goes, I'm feeling something I've never felt before. He said, I'm in a gang. Cause a lot of people in prison there, they have gangs in prison. And he said, I walked into this chapel and I was in a gang but he said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm going back to the dorm. I'm getting out of the gang. He said, I want what I what I feel right now. I want Jesus. And those moments are why God set me free. And so I can't reach every prisoner in the nation, in every state and federal prison and county jail and juvenile facility. And God has been, for the past six years, working with me to write my testimony. I wrote it and I was like, okay, what now, God? And maybe I'll just, you know, publish it on Amazon myself and just hand it out here and there. God orchestrated divine connections. And my book is being published by Bridge Logos, who published Nikki Cruz's Run Baby Run in David Wilkerson's Team Challenge New York Center. And Don Wilkerson, who is David Wilkerson's brother and co-founded Team Challenge with him, wrote the foreword for my book. And the mission that God gave me is to take get my book, partner with churches and people and whosoever will. And the publisher is giving big discounts to churches who want to order cases of my books and either get them to pass out in prison when they go or have them ship directly to prison. And the vision God gave me is to get that book into the hands of every prison in the nation and then ultimately around the world. You know, you you call yourself a hope dealer and that's it right there to get your story into the hands of people who feel like they're in a place where they have no hope and be able to tangibly see the words of the story of someone who is exactly where they are 
and is in a whole different place right now is just, that's, I love that vision. I love that so much. So where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they get a copy of your book? Right now on my, uh, on my website, julieseals.com. For everyone that orders a book off my website, I'm sending three digital freebies. One of them is so precious to me. They all are. But one of them is all the scriptures God gave me when I was in prison that I held on to and stood on for the restoration of my son, for the restoration of my life. I put all, yeah, I put them all in there. And then another one is all my hope scriptures. And then another one is a word, a word that God gave me during my prayer time. That's really encouraging. So all of that is happening. If you go to my website, julieseals.com, you can see that. And then if somebody is a church prison ministry leader and, and they want to contact me about how to get my books and take them into prison, you can just email me. My email is on my website too. And let, let me know that you want to get my book, take it into prisons, and I'll help walk you through it. I have a prison minister at a church in Kentucky. She is taking my book in. I had given her a pre-copy. She is reading a chapter a week with the women in the county jail. And she said every week they're weeping and people are giving their life to Jesus. Wow. Okay. So Helen Morning's listeners, our, our kind of motto is God plan move. Spend time with God, understand his plan for your life, and then move wherever he leads. This might be your opportunity to move if prison ministry is something that you've had a heart for, or maybe you've never even thought of, but now you have a heart for it, definitely get in touch with your church, whoever's in charge, and connect them because this sounds like a, an amazing opportunity. And I'm totally going to your website. I want those freebies because, wow, what it just sounds like such a treasure, just the scriptures that you clung to, the things that you prayed for, for all that restoration that happened. And I, you know, you shared all of those difficult things that happened in the beginning of your life. And I love how God brought so many of those full circle and, and where he's brought you now and the ministry that you have and just the heart that you have. And it's just been an honor to have you on the podcast today. If you could give one parting word to the women listening right now who might be, you know, in all different circumstances, all different seasons of life, what is the thing on your heart that you would want them to encourage them with in their relationship with the Lord? What comes to me immediately is Galatians 5, 9. It says, do not grow weary in well-doing or doing good because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. No matter what you're going through, God's not mad at you. He's preparing you and shaping you. And he's got something good ahead because it's who he is. And don't give up. That's perfect. Julie, what an honor truly want an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for following Jesus. Thank you for writing this book. And I know so many women are going to be blessed. And I just feel like there are going to be so many, so many seeds scattered, just as just like you're going into the the prisons and sharing your story. And and like that man, who knows what God's going to do with, with his life that gave his life to Jesus. And as people listen, as people share your book, who knows how many people are going to be impacted. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Kat. It was such a joy to meet you and your 
viewers and listeners and you just don't my heart is full of joy so thank you for the time i got to spend with you it was a privilege for me all right everyone go check out her book and all the links and everything will be in the show notes well i hope julie's story inspired you and challenged you and encouraged you as much as it encouraged me now my name is catley and i'm so grateful that you joined me today and if you want to learn more about building morning routine you can head over to hellomornings.org and download our three-minute morning kit. I hope we've inspired your morning so that you can begin waking up for your life and not just to your life. I'll see you on the next episode of the Hello Mornings podcast. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet, but I've set aside this time for you. Before the throne of a noble king And in this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day A good day filled with his grace His grace and sweetness